you'll turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 4. We're continuing on in the book of Luke. We're going to finish chapter 4 today. Luke chapter 4, we're going to be looking at verses 38 through 44. 38 through 44, the title of the message is The Purpose of Christ's Ministry. So we're going to see an account in here where he heals an individual and then he heals multiple people. So we're going to be talking about the subject of healing for a bit. And there's so much confusion about healing, is there not? Within the church, you know, does does God still heal? Is there a gift of healing? Should we expect it? These miraculous healings, those type of questions, I think probably every genuine Christian has. Because there's so much confusion on the topic. You know, the, what we know as the health and wealth gospel, the prosperity gospel, the word of faith movement, it is, a, it is really just a stain on Christianity. It really is. It, just, it, drags, it drags Christ's name through the mud. You know? I mean, you've all seen them on the TV. You know, send in, uh, send in your... And it, it, you always have to send in money. And if your faith's strong enough, you will send in the money, and, and we'll send you a handkerchief. You know, just from having that handkerchief, you'll be healed, and all kinds of nonsense. It's really blasphemous, is what it is. So that just brings more confusion. There's many true Christians, God's people who love Christ, are just they're just confused about what to believe as far as healing. So hopefully, hopefully we can answer some questions today, clear 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 a few things up. But I remember in 1999, as a young Christian, I'd been a Christian for, for about two years. Well, yeah, about two years. And, um, and I was visiting and, and attended a, a church. I'm not going to name the church, but it was a Southern Baptist church. And fairly small church. And I, and I really enjoyed it. Um, enjoyed the pastor. He was an elderly guy. Good friends with him. I was a young guy in my early 20s. And and so we got along real well. Uh, I, I hung out with him, fellowship with him and his wife. I liked his preaching. But his, um, I believe it was his music minister, who was also, I think, considered the associate pastor, he was teaching a, a young adults class, and I was in there. And I, and I heard him, and I could tell his teaching was a little off. <laughs> Just from two years of being a Christian, and Jamie would help disciple me, and I was like, something's off here. And then he started mentioning names like, or specifically Kenneth Copeland. This was in a Southern Baptist church. And so, lo and behold, he's basically teaching this prosperity gospel, this word of faith, this if you have enough faith, God will heal you. And if you don't, you don't have enough, if he doesn't, you don't have enough faith. And so, and so I, heard, I heard a story in there. There was a, the, the young people that were in the, in the class, there was one of their friends that was a part of that church, a young girl, had died of cancer. And so as he's teaching this stuff, I remember... One of the girls in the class who happened to be the pastor's daughter, she asked the guy, so you're saying that so-and-so died because she didn't have enough faith? He said, yeah. Yeah, she, she made negative confessions. That's why she died of cancer. And so immediately I thought, this is trouble. I remember I called Jamie told him. And I was pretty sure. I was a young believer. He's like, oh yeah, that's not, that's not good. So I went to the pastor, again, who I was pretty close with, and and he even agreed with me. That, yeah, that's not good, but nothing was ever done or said about it. So I didn't stay there. But, uh, but that's, that, stuff's, that stuff's all over the place. That was being taught in the Southern Baptist Church, you know, 20 plus years ago. But it's, uh, it's out there, guys, all of this confusion about health and wealth, that God just wants you to be healthy. He wants you to be wealthy. If you have enough faith, God will heal you. And that's the bondage that it puts believers in who aren't grounded in the Word of God, right? Well, I must be sick because there's something wrong with me. You know, and it reminds me, that story and, and just these type of things reminds me of what it says in Ephesians 4. You don't have to turn there, just paraphrasing Ephesians 4, 11-14, where it says, God gives pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints. Why? So as a result, that will no longer be like a, like, a, like a little children, like little children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And this is one of those winds of doctrine that can... You can be genuinely saved, but your, your faith can be shipwrecked. And you can be all, in all kinds of just um, 
bondage, unnecessarily so, because because you're thinking there's something wrong with you because you're sick. Okay, so um, hopefully again we can answer some of these questions today. You have a question if you have your if you have your outline. Uh, have four points today, and when I can, I try to think of a question to try to answer as as we go throughout the sermon. Really, just by way of application. And so the question, the title of the message is the purpose of Christ's ministry. What what was the purpose of His ministry? I think we'll be able to see that today. And so the question I have for all of us, the question I'd like for you to ask yourself and answer as we're going throughout, is how can we, how can you pattern ourselves after Christ and His ministry? That's, That's a good applicatory question. How can we pattern ourselves after Christ, right? We want to pattern, we want to pattern ourselves after Jesus Christ. Right? We don't we just want to read a read a story, see what Christ did, and then say, Oh, that's nice. And go on. No, he's our example. That's who we're following. We want to be imitators of Jesus Christ. So how can we pattern ourselves after Christ and his ministry? That's what we're going to look at today in the text. So let's read it. Uh, Luke chapter four, thirty eight through forty four. So again, remember guys, the setting is the synagogue. Last week he was in the synagogue in Capernaum, and he preached, and that's when the demon cried out. So that's, so that's uh, where we're... It's picking up right after that in verse 38. It says, Then he got up and left the synagogue and entered Simon's home. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked him to help her. And standing over her, he rebuked the fever, and it left her. And she immediately got up and waited on them. While the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and laying his hands on each one of them, he was healing them. Demons also were coming out of many, shouting, You are the Son of God! But rebuking them, he would not allow them to speak, because they knew him to be the Christ. When day came, Jesus left and went to a secluded place, and the crowds were searching for him, and came to him and tried to keep him from going away from them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. So he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we we just come to your word with reverence, Lord. We acknowledge it as the word of God. And Father, I just pray for your blessings upon the preaching of your word. I pray that you would help me communicate your word, that you would help us all to to, to receive it and to obey it, to apply it. Father, we pray that Jesus Christ will be glorified today and that your will would be done. And we ask it in His name. Amen. So your first, first thing we're going to see, guys, is, is this power over sickness. In verses 38 through 40, we'll just go down one verse at a time. Beginning in verse 38, we're going to see His power over sickness. He got up and left the synagogue and entered Simon's home. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked him to help her. So, again, they're in Capernaum. This is, this is Simon's hometown. So you know, when it says Simon, he, he will eventually be named Peter. So Simon, Simon Peter, that's who this is. This was his hometown. So, so he was more than likely in that synagogue that we looked at last week when the demon, he witnessed that. And so basically what we got here in verse 38 says he got up and left the synagogue, entered Simon's home. Think of it as a Sunday church service, except it's Saturday, the Sabbath. Um, if you guys remember, we talked about the synagogue. Really just the, really the pattern of the local church is really modeled off, off the synagogue in many ways. There was scripture read. There was somebody giving a message. There was prayers. There was singing. But another thing I learned this week, I believe uh, John MacArthur said that. He even said that the synagogue usually ended at around noon, followed by the meal of the day in a particular home. So that's what we got, guys. We got the, we got the Sunday service, the Saturday service, and they're going to meet at Simon's home. Fried chicken at Simon's home. No, but it was. It was, a, <laughs> it, was a, it was a big deal. They would gather. He got up and left the synagogue, entered Simon's home. And um, Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. So more than likely... Uh, you know, so obviously this tells us that Simon Peter was married. Okay, so if he was the Pope, uh, <laughs> the whole 
celibacy thing. <laughs> All of that's out the door. But he was married. We see that. Paul talks about him being married. Uh, we see his mother-in-law here. So they're, man, they're going to just have this big meal after the service, right? So Baptists didn't invent eating, you know, <laughs> eating good after, after church. But that's what was going on, guys. Um, tradition even says, I think it was Josephus, that said not only, I mean, the Scriptures communicate that he was married, that he probably had children as well. Good, good indication that Peter had children. So they were probably all there. But it says Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked them to help her. Now the day, you can see if you, if you compare Gospels and Mark's Gospel, the day in verse 38 says they asked him to help her. We see also Andrew, James, and John was present as well. And a matter of fact, Andrew lived with him, I believe. But, um, but it says she was suffering... The other gospel writers say just from a fever, but Luke, who is the beloved physician, he emphasizes that it's a high fever. And that word high fever, guys, it just means that she was very sick. Possibly even deathly sick. It was a very serious situation. Uh, I mean, just think of a bad fever. Think of it, you guys had a really bad fever. And I mean, it just... When you have a bad fever, you're out. It zaps you. There's no energy. There's, you're, you're, I mean, we all know what that feels like when you have a really, really high fever. And just thinking that time, guys, you, you couldn't just pop a few Advil and get some relief. This was a serious deal. She was, very, she was suffering. And it says in verse 39 that he was, Jesus was standing over her. He rebuked the fever and it left her, and she immediately got up and waited on them. Again, we're just trying to kind of form the, get a picture of the setting here. Jesus standing over her like a, like a physician, and it says he rebuked the fever, and it left her. It's that simple. He rebuked the fever, and it left her. What we have here is really just a uh, very similar situation as what we had last week. Remember when he cast out the demon? What what did it take for him to cast out the demon? Did he have to a word? That's right. We see the same thing here. Just. With a word. There was nothing else. It doesn't, it doesn't indicate that he's asking Simon's mother-in-law about her faith. Do you really believe that I can do this? Nothing. It's not a process. It's not a formula. He's not testing her faith. Just with a word, he rebukes the fever and it's gone. The same one that we see in the Scriptures, just with a word, calms the sea. You know, it'd be one thing in Oklahoma. We have windy days, and you can even go to a big, a large-sized pond and see the water real rough. You go to Thunderbird Lake out there or any lake, you see it white capping. That would be amazing enough. But he calms the sea. Hurricane-like storms with a word, it obeys him. With a word, he raises the dead. You know, these men—they go around claiming they can raise the dead. We know what it says about Lazarus. <laughs> Lazarus, he stinketh. He was dead so long. Just with a word, He can raise the dead. And so the same God, the same Lord, can remove an infection and the fever that follows with it. Just with a word. Shouldn't be no surprise to us. The same One who is Lord. Right? That's who this is. The same One who is Lord of the galaxies. The sun, the moon, the stars. How many times does the earth fit into the, to the sun? A million times? Isn't that amazing? The, sun, the, the earth fits into the sun a million times. That's what they say. And there's millions upon billions of these stars. And, and many of them, <laughs> the sun would fit into. And, and, and Jesus is Lord over them all. He knows them by name. The same One who is Lord over the galaxies. You know, our galaxies is made up of all these millions and millions of stars. And then there's these millions and millions of galaxies. And it's the same One. Who is Lord over all of this creation? He's the same one who is Lord over the the viruses and the bacteria that you can only see under a microscope. This is him. And so what we see here is is nature, his creation obeying him. Even the fever. It says that he rebuked it and it left her, and she immediately got up and waited on them. Beloved, we see instantly that his healing. We see instantly that His healing is instantly. It's instant healing. 
She was instantly healed. She didn't, she didn't have need time to recover. Again, from a high fever. Think back to when you're really, really sick. And even after the fever's gone, you're just, your body's exhausted. Trish just had a little bug. You know, we call them bugs. She just had a little bug this week, a little stomach deal. It wasn't nothing real serious. I don't even know if she had a fever. Do you have a fever? But, but even with that, even it, it wasn't maybe 24 hours, maybe not even that long, but even, even when she said, yeah, the bug's gone, but I'm just wiped out. Think of this. And, and he rebuked this fever, this high fever, and she was healed instantly. And it says the fever left her, and she immediately got up and waited on them. So she didn't even need time to recover. She was waiting on this, this you know, Caring for people, serving people, instant. It was not a process. Up and busy with the huge meal. If any of you guys, you know what it's like to host, to host a large company and it wears you out. And she just jumps up and you imagine, can you imagine the impact this would have had on all of those who were present that day to see this, to witness this? We're going to see here just real soon that the word got around real quickly what happened. And I want you to hold on to this thought. Just think how it impacted Simon, Peter, okay, the one who was going to be his, one of the intimate three, the head apostle, um, so to speak. This this would have had a great impact. We're gonna we're gonna see that again next week as we as we get into even more when when Jesus really calls Simon. This this would have impacted him greatly. And so in verse forty it says, while the sun was setting, this just, this just means the 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 end of the Sabbath. All those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to Him and laying His hands on each one of them was healing them. The Word got around, beloved. The Word got around. If you look at in Mark's parallel account in Mark 1 verse 32, of course, we, before, we, before I read that verse, we know that the Word had gotten around because of just what happened in the synagogue just a few hours before this demon being cast out. The Word would have gotten around with that. The Word would have gotten around already with Peter's mother being healed. It says in Mark's Gospel that all who were ill and all those who were demon-possessed were brought to Peter's house, basically. Word is getting around. Matter of fact, in, in Mark 1.33, it says the whole city came. Now we know that may not mean every single person, but a large number of people came. Those who were sick, they brought all the sick. All of those demon-possessed basically said they came up on the front lawn of Peter. <laughs> and this was a major deal. We just, we just read these accounts and just, you know, just kind of read through them. But think about that in your, in your minds. And it says in verse 40 that He was laying His hands on them, on, on each one of them. And in other words, He's healing all of them. There's no partiality. If you're brought to Jesus, He's healing you. He's casting out demons. And so we see this account, guys. We see, we see Jesus healing and, and, and the things that characterize His healing and the power He has over it. And I want to go back to that statement I made in the introduction about all of the confusion out there with the modern faith healers. And I just want to look at real quickly just a few differences, obvious differences in Jesus' healings and His apostles and those of the of the faith healers. First thing, and we'll just go through these real quick. We already talked about this, but it only took a word. I mean, when Jesus speaks it, it's done. It's instant. It's done. There's no lapse. It's, it's healed. And then secondly, we already, we already looked at this as well. It was instant. It's not a process. Like, well, I think I'm feeling better, you know? <laughs> and, I, and I think that's all... When, when people think they're being healed by some of these guys, it's uh, manipulation. Or do they call it psycho... You know, you can, you can think, you know, i got pain in my lower back, and I think it's feeling better. And then lo and behold, you wake up the next day, and nothing's really changed. So it, it, it only took a word. It was instant. It was complete. Again, she was up serving. Fourthly, it wasn't vague. What do I mean by that? Right? Have you, have you seen the televangelist? <laughs> just imagine looking at the, looking at the, 
speaking to millions of people through the TV screen and saying, I think there's somebody out there, you have knee pain. <laughs> you have knee pain. I was like, oh yeah, that's me. You have lower back pain. Well, I got that too. <laughs> Who doesn't if you're over the age of 30? And so it's, it's vague. You can make yourself believe you feel better. Do you know that? You can make yourself think that you feel better, but nothing's really changed. No, Jesus' healings wasn't vague. It wasn't none of this. I think there's somebody out there with a, a sore right ankle. No. His healings that we see in the Gospels, He made limbs grow back. Right? So here, hopefully, Lord willing, in maybe a month or so, I don't know, we'll have Bob and Jean with us, Angela's parents, and Jean has an amputated leg. Now, can you imagine that? Can you imagine witnessing that grow back? And it grows back. This is not lower back pain. This is making a limb grow back. That was His miracles. No, He raised the dead. He raised the dead. Why don't these men go to the cemeteries? Raise the dead. He gives sight to the blind. See, these weren't vague miracles. Fifthly, the faith healers, they never have proof. You can go research them. There's never proof of any of these supposed healings. There's never any documentation of actual healings. Many times, you can find proof of the lies, though, if you dig long enough. You listen to men like Justin Peters who, who, who do these things. That's their ministry. And you can usually see, find proof that it's all a bunch of lies. Or listen to somebody like Costi Hen, who used to, the nephew of Benny Hen, he'll tell you all that stuff's fake. It's phony. See, Jesus did His in public. Not some tent revival where it's staged. He did His miracles in public. And we see that the crowds, even His enemies, couldn't deny His miracles. Right? The Pharisees, they knew. They saw the signs and the miracles. They said, we can't deny them. So we just got to accuse Him of doing them by the power of the devil. Because we can't deny them. And then sixthly, sixth. Sixthly, is that a word? Sixth? <laughs> His miracles were not contingent on the faith of a person. What do the faith healers tell you? If you have enough faith, first of all, if you have enough faith, you'll demonstrate that by sending me your money. And the only way you're true, and if you're not healed, it's because your faith wasn't strong enough. Jesus' miracles weren't contingent on the faith of a person, they weren't contingent on positive confession. Okay? Many that He healed were unbelievers. Oh, that kind of puts a kink in the faith healer's whole scheme. They're unbelievers. It's like when He cast out demons. Many times. Well, if He cast out a demon, it was with an unbeliever. But the point is, it wasn't the, it wasn't the, the, the quality of the faith of a person. Jesus just spoke a word for His purposes to demonstrate who He was whenever He chose to do it. Church, it, he basically banished sickness from that part of the world for three years. Like he banished it. He healed people all over. Can you imagine that? He has absolute power over sickness, and he healed he healed them all. It wasn't it wasn't contingent upon well this this person's faith or how much money they give. No, it was all contingent on the sovereignty of God and on the power of Jesus Christ. Nothing like this. We should never think of these things as normal. Like, like the faith healers want you to. You know, if you just have enough faith, we're, we're, we're the modern day apostles. We can do these things. No, these things, nothing like this had ever been done before or since. Okay? Since the times of the apostles. Even... It, when you read the book of Acts, these things slowly start fading. And then when you read the epistles, guys, here's four, if you want to jot these down, here's four examples of people who were sick in the epistles and not healed. There's not even any mention of healing. Paul in Galatians 4, we can see is sick, nothing about healing. Epaphroditus in Philippians 2, sick, nothing about healing. Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.5, nothing about healing. And Tropimus 
In 2 Timothy 4, sick and no mention of healing. So there's major differences in the supposed faith healers and that of Christ and His apostles. Listen to Matthew 8, 16 and 17. This is his account. It says, When evening came, this is, this is the same account, when evening came, they brought many to him who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were ill. And then listen to what he says in verse 17, guys. This was, this is what, this is what Matthew says. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. That Old Testament passage, Matthew's saying, is fulfilled in that story right there. This doesn't mean, in other words, when we read stories like this, this doesn't mean that we should expect to be healed and expect miracles. And we, should, we certainly shouldn't go around claiming them. There are no faith healers. Okay, we'll speak more of that a little later. But there are no faith healers. There's, there was a purpose for these miracles. Now, does God still heal? Amen. God still heals. He can heal anybody at any time that He chooses. But there are no men running around with these gifts of healing. If there were, again, go to the crowds. Mr. Benny Hinn and all you phonies, go to the crowds, go to the hospitals, and heal all of them. But see, they got their little scheme their way out. Well, they just don't have enough faith. It's not what we see in Scripture. Beloved, we're not guaranteed healing, right? We're not guaranteed healing. We all die. When does the process of death start? At birth. <laughs> it's like they forget this. Our body starts literally starts the process of death when we're born. No, church, Jesus demonstrated His power. Remember how last week we talked about He demonstrated His power over the kingdom of darkness by casting out demons? Right? If He's going to save us, He's got to have power over the kingdom of darkness. And He demonstrated it time and time again by just saying, come out of Him. He's doing the same thing. He's demonstrating His power over the effects of the fall. What are the effects of the fall? Sickness, illness, death. And He's demonstrating His power over the effects of the fall. He has power over sickness, over death. And there is total and complete healing coming, beloved. But it's in the future. When He gives us our new resurrected body. Okay, so He has power over sickness. Secondly, He has power over darkness. This won't take but a minute because it's really review. It's really review from last week. In verse 41, it says, Demons were also coming out of many, shouting, You are the Son of God. But rebuking them, He would not allow them to speak because they knew Him to be the Christ. He would not allow them to speak Man, that would be nice to have to have had that power at certain times in my life to have the power for certain people not to speak. <laughs> but he had power of this demon <laughs> not to speak. So he has power over demons, right? From last week to deliver us from the kingdom of darkness. Now, in all seriousness, when it says he wouldn't allow them to speak, some people think that what he means, that where it says he would not allow them to speak because they knew him to be the Christ. Some people think or have said that uh, one, one way to see that is that he didn't want people to know who he was yet at that time. I don't, I don't, go with, I don't buy that. I think, I think he was wanting people to know that he was the Messiah, this particular case, through these miracles. This is what I think is going on here. I think the reason why he's basically telling these demons to be quiet and not allowing them to speak is because the demons confirming his identity would confuse people. It would confuse people. He would, he would have given grounds for the Pharisees' accusation that they, made, that they made that I mentioned a while ago in Matthew 12, 24. 
They couldn't deny the signs and the miracles He was doing. They couldn't deny, the, the Pharisees couldn't deny that He was casting demons out of people. And so they just said, well, this man cast out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of demons. So Jesus Christ didn't want to add to the confusion. So He's basically told the demons, shut up, I don't need you. I don't need you. That's, that's what I think. It made me think of a... Uh, of a drunk Native American one time when I was preaching. I think this was the, 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 the night we first met Ronnie. And it was at a uh, Thunder game in 2010. They were in the playoffs, playing the Lakers. And the same day as the Arts Festival and just thousands upon thousands of people. Ronnie and I had just met, literally like talked for like five minutes. And then I started preaching. And this, do you remember him, hon? Yeah, this, this drunk Indian guy. And he was borderline violent. He was very aggressive, very drunk. And he was hanging out right by me. And it's like he was wanting to identify with me, like, like communicating to the people that he was with me. And I'm like, Ronnie, come over here and get this guy. I don't want to confuse the people even more. So I think that's what was going on in the same sense. Jesus didn't need to be these demons identifying who he is. Um, it's just going to bring further confusion to the people. So beloved, these first two points. So the question I had at the top. How can we pattern ourselves after Christ and His ministry? Now many, many of the charismatics, they would say, well, yeah, we pattern ourselves because we need to go out casting out demons. We need to go healing people. No, that's not true at all. We want to model ourselves after Christ. Right? There's, there's ways that we can pattern ourselves after Christ as much as we're able. What do I mean by that? Well, we have to remember that He was God, okay? There is a difference. He was God in the flesh. We don't have power to go casting out demons and go raising the dead, okay? But we do because another thing He's doing in His miracles, I mentioned last week, He is demonstrating His compassion towards people. He's meeting their physical needs. You and I can do that. That's the first thing we can take from this. We can pray for people, Right? We can pray for people. We can try to meet their physical needs. And obviously, and we'll mention this a little later, we have the gospel. So in that sense, we are in the deliverance ministry. But that's what we see, first of all, His, his power over sickness, His power over darkness, really to tie into last week. We don't have these same powers, but we are ambassadors for Christ. We want to be kind and generous to people. Try to meet their physical needs if we're able to preach the gospel to them. And then thirdly, and our third point, we're going to see His priority during His life. How can we pattern ourselves after Christ in His ministry? These next two are really, really clear for us how we can pattern ourselves. Because third, we're going to see His priority during His life in verse 42. When day came, Jesus left and went to a secluded place. And the crowds were searching for Him and came to Him and tried to keep Him from going away from them. So his priority during his life. I mean, obviously the crowds didn't want him to leave. That's understandable, right? He's healing people. They're not wanting him to leave. But listen to Mark's Gospel. He, Mark, he sheds a little more light on where Jesus is going or what he's going to do in Mark 1.35. He says, In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to the secluded place and was praying there. He went away to pray. He went to a secluded place by Himself. Why? To pray, to spend time with His Father. Also in Mark's Gospel, in verse, in verse 36, it says, Simon and his companions searched for Him. So it wasn't just the crowds that were searching for Him, even Simon and his companions. Now they weren't fully... His, his true disciples yet, but they were getting close to being. It says even they were looking for Him. So what do we see here, guys? What do we see with His priority? We see time with His Father with, was His priority. And we see it throughout Scripture. We see a pattern in this where Jesus is getting away from the crowds, right? And usually it's always early in the morning. He's getting away because His priority was time with His Father. Now, you and I, we have the same Heavenly Father, right? It's just, our Father's the same Father. Is, is it a priority in your life? 
to get alone with your father. It says early in the morning. That, that, that was his pattern a lot of times. Wasn't the only time, but we see that. And you know, I've, I've discovered that in my life. And, and again, we're not going to be dogmatic on how early it is because some people don't get up early. But, but I think there's a principle there like first, first things. Whether you get up at 10 o'clock in the morning or 4 o'clock in the morning, if you can, if you're able, start your day off with the Father. Right? I mean, that's just... I've learned that more and more the longer I'm a Christian. You know, I've found out... So I get up at 4.30 in the morning during the week when I go to work because I like having an hour of time with the Lord. And so I have my alarm set for 4.30. But usually I don't even make it till then. Just my sleeping, you know? And so, and so like this week... This week was an example of that. Almost every morning. But there was one morning where it was just like 2.18. And so I laid there a few minutes and realized I'm not going back to sleep. Because that's really frustrating. You lay there for two hours and waste the time or whatever. So I just got up. And, and, and that day in particular, and I've learned this many times this happens, that, that rest, rest in the Lord is better than any sleep I could get. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not advocating for not getting sleep. <laughs> I wish I could make it to my alarm every morning. But there are times when I realize, like that morning in particular, I had more pep in my step than I would have if I'd have slept at 4.30 because I was so full of Christ. I had three hours with Him. It was great. Now, again, I like sleeping. <laughs> we need sleep. But there is a principle there to try to discipline ourselves, spend time with the Lord Really, first thing when you get up. Now, it's time. We see him, again, he's getting away from the crowds. He's getting away from people that he loves dearly. And so, it's time with, you know, your family. Obviously, if you're married, your spouse, your children, family, friends. It's time with them good? Absolutely. We're all about, God made us to be relational, right? but, But there's a principle that we need time with the Lord. And you have to intentionally set aside time with the Lord, even over other people. No, honey, I need time with the Lord. That's what I need. There's nothing else. There's nothing else I need right now. I just need to be alone with God. I think you guys probably all know what I'm talking about. Early in the morning was his habit. Um, and again, the longer I live, beloved, the longer I live, I agree with that. Because what happens, guys? We talked about this yesterday. That, you know. Time alone with God in the morning, starting your day off with your mind on truth and the Word of God, meditate on the Word of God and prayer with God before you ever turn the electronics on. I know that helps me because as soon as I do, I get distracted. And it's just, it can, it can ruin it. And your mind gets distracted. Obviously, I do check my phone in case I have any important texts. But I try to limit, you know, the, the, the TV. And some mornings it just doesn't work out. I get that. But try to build that into your life. That time of the Lord. And then we even see during the busyness of ministry. I mean, what had He been doing the day before? Healing and casting out demons and preaching the Word. And so you can get so busy during ministry. Doing good things for the Lord, guys. But it's this time when you're with the Lord and you're starting your day off with Him and you're focusing your mind on Him. This is when you're filled this is when you're filled with the Spirit many times when you can do that. Okay? And it's not a rigid legalistic deal, okay? It doesn't mean, oh my goodness, I didn't get time for the Lord. Spend time with the Lord later in the day. But when you can, try to start your day off with Him, setting your mind on Him. And it's so important. And we see it. We see Christ. That's a pattern in His life. So whenever it is, try to get that alone time with the Father. So we can obviously pattern ourselves after Christ in this area. And then last, in verses 43 and 44, His purpose in being sent. Really to the title of the message. The purpose of Christ's ministry. We see His purpose in being sent in verse 43 and 44. But He said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. So that He kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. His purpose in being sent. So what's the purpose of His ministry? We're going to answer that. Before we answer that, guys, I want to ask this question. Because it all ties in here. What's the purpose of miracles? 
What is the purpose of miracles? Before we answer what the purpose of His ministry is, what is the purpose of miracles? Did you know that English word miracle that we have, there is no Greek word that means miracle. But there are three Greek words that mean, one of them means signs, one of them means wonder, and one of them means power. And so that's what He's been doing. He's been showing His power through these miracles. He's been demonstrating His power. But I want to look at the word signs. Remember I told you we were going to look at that word. What do signs do? Because that's what you're going to see them referred to in the Scriptures. He was performing signs. Think about it, guys. It's not a trick question. What do signs do? Signs point to something, right? They point to something greater. Here's an example. You're driving down the highway. You're on the turnpike. And you know how it is if you're driving for very long at all. You've got to have those stops, right? You've got to use the bathroom get something to eat. So you're, oh, when's the next sign? You see the sign, exit so-and-so. And you see all the little, right? Food, bathroom. Do you stop under the sign and just stop there and park the car? Well, we're here. It says restroom. Oh, man, look at that. Look at that. Chick-fil-A is on that. <laughs> no, what is that doing? It's pointing to something about three miles down the road. That's where you're going to go and find an actual restroom and an actual restaurant. The sign is pointing to something much greater. You remember what God told Moses, the account we read, right? He said, by these signs, the staff and the hand, put your hand in your bosom, then put your hand back in your bosom. The leprosy's here, the leprosy's gone. By these signs, it'll confirm that I sent you. That's what the signs are meant to do. In John chapter 3, verse 2, you don't have to read that, but in John chapter 3, verse 2, where Nicodemus approached Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know you came from God as a teacher. Why? For no one can do these signs you do unless God is with them. That's the purpose of signs. That's the purpose of all these miracles is to point to something greater. These signs, these miracles were meant to attest to the fact that He was indeed the Messiah. There were many people who came in that day saying, I'm, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Messiah. We still have them in our day. I think, I think Trish just met... Didn't you just meet Jesus Christ at the bus station a week or two ago? Said she was Jesus. So, I mean, yeah. And it wasn't just Christ, but His apostles. They performed signs. The, the, the healings that we, that we read about in Acts 3 and many others. They performed signs. But these signs, these miracles, they were meant to validate them as the apostles and their message that they would preach and that they were the men chosen to pin the words of Scripture. That's what the signs were. And also, also they were God's compassion upon humanity. They were a demonstration that God's a compassionate God. Beloved, what validates us? What validates us as Christians? It's not, it's not looking at somebody... You know, when, when, when Angela's mother comes here, I am not going to have the power to say, in the name of Jesus, let grow back. Now, if God chose to do that, it'd be <laughs> amazing. Something that's never been done probably since this time. And I do think God performs miracles a lot in other parts of the world where they're needed to validate Him more so than they are here. I really do. I've heard from, from missionaries who I... Highly respect. And God does work miracles. We're not denying that. It's just these men don't have the gift of miracles. But what validates us? i tell you what validates us, beloved, is a godly life. That's what validates us as Christians. You say, I'm a Christian. And what demonstrates that is the kind of life we live. And so, we see, we don't live... Just like miracles aren't meant to point to themselves... The godly life you and I live is not to point to us. It's meant to point to something greater. Someone greater. Jesus Christ. And so, that's the purpose of these miracles. That's the purpose of signs. To point to something much greater. But to answer our question, what's the purpose of His ministry here? What is the purpose of His ministry? The purpose of Christ's ministry? Really in closing, guys. I think, I think Jesus tells us very clearly in Mark Chapter 8, verse 36, 37, or verses 36 and 37. These all familiar words. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world 
and forfeit his soul. For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Do you hear that? you hear his emphasis in that? For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? The whole world. What would it profit a man if he gained all the money in the world? That's what the health and wealth teachers want you to have. Man, you just have enough faith. You have all the money in the world. Jesus said, what would it profit you if you had all the money in the world, if you had all the health in the world, if you had all the healings in the world? That stuff is temporal. And, and, and yet you lost your soul. Again, He was just demonstrating His power and authority through these miracles and also His compassion through these signs, through these miracles, through these healings, but make no mistake about it. Church, Jesus, His priority were people's souls, not their bodies. His priority is your soul, my soul, not simply our body. What would it profit if our body could gain everything? that this world has to offer, and yet we lose our souls. No, Jesus is saying, I was sent to preach. He's a preacher. I almost entitled the message, A Preacher Who Heals. Meaning, He's a preacher first. That's why He was sent. He said, I was sent to preach. Listen to what Luke chapter 10 says. Verses 19 and 20. To this point, Luke 10, 19 and 20. Behold, I have given you authority, speaking to His his disciples that He sent out to preach and and also to perform miracles. This was the the 70 that that I mentioned last week that He also gave these powers to. He said, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Do you hear what he's saying, guys? Whether, whether you're the recipient, whether you are a recipient of one of these miracles, or you're the one performing them, his emphasis is on where are you going to spend eternity? Don't rejoice that you have power over demons, that you can cast the demons out. Rejoice that your name's written in heaven. Don't rejoice that you've been healed. Where are you going to spend eternity? That was his main focus. And that needs to be ours. We don't go out and preach the Word of God and and our ministry is not about how many waters we can give away or how many coats we can give. Those things are great. And they can, in a sense, point to Christ. Generosity can point to Christ. But there's something much bigger. Where are you going to spend eternity? You see, demons want to distract people from this almost important question. They don't want people to consider where they're going to spend eternity. Now they want you to focus on is your body healed? Do you have enough money? Now these things are some of these things are needs, they're important. But no, he doesn't want you to focus on this question. Where are you going to spend eternity? All these, all these, all the, the, these demons, they're, they're, what, they're what is behind all these false gospels, like the prosperity gospel, like the woke gospel, and all these other false gospels, these lies, beloved. This must be our priority and our main purpose as well the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This was the purpose of his ministry. It always was. We must announce. Right? What does he say? I must preach the kingdom of God to these other cities. And sometimes it was in the synagogues, and as we'll see next week, sometimes it's sitting in a boat out to the crowds. But we must announce that the king has come, right? Jesus Christ is the king of all kings, and he has come. And with him, his kingdom. And we must tell people that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. There's only one way to enter the kingdom. That's our message. Amen? You must repent. And you must believe this gospel, this one and only gospel, this simple gospel, this narrow gospel, this foolish gospel in the eyes of the world, 
that Christ is the Savior, that His perfect life and His death on the cross, He did it as a substitute in your place to pay for your sin if you will believe and repent. He rose from the dead for your justification. You can have eternal life. That's our message. That was His message. That's our message. It never changes. doesn't matter how popular it is. If everybody's doing it or if nobody's doing it but you, that's the, that's the purpose of His ministry and that should always be the purpose of our ministry in our individual lives and as a church. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your Word that tells us so clearly the purpose for our being here, Lord, the purpose of Christ and His ministry. Father, His focus was on people's souls. We could gain all the money in the world, all the riches in the world, all the pleasure in the world, all the prestige, all the popularity, all the fanfare. Lord, and we lost our soul and went to hell, it would profit us nothing. And the same is true for everybody. Lord, help us to have that just that singular focus. That, that even acts of kindness that we perform would be pointing to someone greater, not to ourselves. Not to the act of kindness itself, but to Christ who forgives sins, who saves and rescues. Oh Lord, thank You for continually taking us back to Your Gospel. We need Your Gospel, Lord. We need Your Gospel to, to keep us grounded, to remind us who we are, Lord. We're not good. Father, we are saved by grace. We are totally dependent upon Your mercy and Your grace, Lord. And we just thank You for Your Word, God. Your Word is so rich. Your Word is so good. It feeds us. It strengthens us. And Lord, we just thank You once again for Your Word. I ask You to bless these dear saints of Yours, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen.